looked at a couple of verses in chapter 13. If you're using your Pew Bible, this will be page 900. We'll be focusing on verses 34 and 35, but I'm just going to back up and read from verse 31. Uh, This is right after Jesus. This is a section of of John's gospel called the Upper Room Discourse. This is his last meeting with his disciples, and Jesus has just um, had the, uh, what we refer to as the foot washing ceremony, where he demonstrates um, what he's really about to do with him in metaphor of the way he's serving them. And and so here... um, he has disclosed that there is one among them who will betray him, and that is Judas. And Judas, uh, upon this uh, disclosure, uh, leaves. And, and so is set in motion now the final stage, as it were, of, of Jesus' arrest and ultimately his crucifixion and his resurrection, which Jesus will refer to as him being glorified here, um, which comes in the context then, which is the context, I should say, of his final commandment to his disciples, which we will focus on. So let's give our attention to the reading of God's Word, found in John chapter 13. When he, being Judas, had gone out, Jesus said, Now is the Son of Man glorified, and God is glorified in him. If God is glorified in him, God will also glorify him in himself, and glorify him at once. Little children, yet a little while I am with you, You will seek me, and just as I said to the Jews, so now I also say to you, where I am going, you cannot come. A new commandment I give to you, that you love one another just as I have loved you. You also are to love one another. And by this, all people will know that you are my disciples, if you have love for one another. Let me pray and ask God to teach us his word this morning. Heavenly Father, we thank you for your word to us, and we pray that you would open our eyes and our ears, that we would see and hear things otherwise we could not, that you would change us, such as a seed goes into good soil, that you would make our hearts that good soil that receives your word, that it may grow and produce a fruit, that we would leave here changed people. We ask this in Jesus' name, amen. Well, as you may be aware, we're taking a little bit of time to talk about fruitfulness as we start a new year. Uh, What is it that we want to see God do in and through us, both as individuals and as a church? Typically, the Bible refers to this as fruit, such as a tree produces fruit. Um, We can talk about it as goals. What are our goals? We looked at the idea of ambition even last week, and um, the idea that ambition is good if it's centered around the right things. And we talked about God's ambition, what he's doing in the world, and how he's calling us to enter into that ambition. And we ended with asking the question, where are we planted so that we may grow in grace, grow in the love of God? Because essentially what we're saying is that because Christ is alive in his people through the Holy Spirit, we are to bear fruit that reflects our Savior. And so a good question then, which is guiding our time, is that if the gospel is being worked in us as Christians, something should be coming out of us. What is that? As I said last week, one of the things that we're looking for um, is growth in grace, growth in the love of God, that vertical growth, if you will. And so this morning, we're going to look at the horizontal components of that, 
growth in love towards one another, or what I would call biblical fellowship and service to one another. That is, as I am growing in my love for God, at the same time, that is also allowing me to grow in my love for one another. And that's what we're going to look at this morning uh, three things to guide our time. What is biblical? And I'm, I'm very intentional about the word biblical, fellowship and service. Fellowship and service are very generic terms, can mean many things to many people. We're going to look at what the Bible says about those things and what they mean, and that's what they mean for us. So what is biblical fellowship and service? Uh, what, what is its source, or where does our love for one another come from? So we'll look at that. And then why biblical, fellow, biblical fellowship and service matters. Why would we want it to be a goal? Why would we say it is an aspect of fruitfulness and something that we should be looking at? So why does it matter? And of course, anything else that doesn't get said here, as some of you know, we have a podcast for that. It's called The Fourth Point. I would direct you, direct you to that. We had good discussion last week over much, uh, many things that we uh, just didn't get to in our sermon last Sunday, but um, I'll leave it at that. Um, so let's begin with that first one. What, what is biblical fellowship, and service. And as I've already said, when we talk about the idea of fellowship and service in here, I want us to talk about, um, or I want it to, to, to me, our love for one another. And we can talk about fellowship and service outside the church. That's a, there's, there's a component to that. Um, next week, Jamie will talk about missions and evangelism or having a heart for the lost. But for our purposes this morning. I, I want to have a family conversation. All right, so those who are members of Wallace Presbyterian Church, those who are members of Christ's church, those who would say, we're believe, I'm a believer, this is what we're talking about, love for one another in that family, in that church, in this church, okay? Um, and that's what, it, that, that's what we mean by fellowship and service. This goal emphasizes the corporate hopes, the corporate hopes for Christian transformation, it is, as Les Newsom says, the whole trajectory of our purposes together as a future that is far more corporate than it is individual, a body instead of an isolated person. And if we just think for a second from our, our Sunday school days and even as our, in our own Bible reading, we hear this all throughout Scripture. If we were to say, what is the chorus line of the Old Testament, right? You would be right to say, it is God saying, I will be your God and... You will be my people. Good job. Get a star. Well, does that change in the New Testament? No. As a matter of fact, we, we, we learn of God's favorite pronoun in the New Testament for grammar uh, fanatics. It's, it's, not, it's, it's, it's the us. It's, it's, it's the y'all. It's, it's not the me or the you singular. It's, it's y'all. Oh, we could go another step further. Where does the story of Scripture end? Um, does it end with you and your sort of uh, individual state alone and, um, you know, doing, you know, having, having received all the rewards that you wanted to receive for being a disciple of Christ? No, it ends in the new heavens and new earth. It ends in a party, according to Isaiah 25. Ask Jamie. But that's, that's what this, that's what Scripture is far more corporate than anything that, that, you know, then certainly than it is individual, even though it is individual. And this poses a problem when we reflect just a bit on our hyper-individualistic culture here in America. So let's define these terms of fellowship and service uh, so that we can understand more of what, what they mean biblically. And I'll start with fellowship first. 
Um, biblically, fellowship comes from this Greek word koinonia, which means to share, the, the, which means the share that one has in something. The share that one has in something. We could, we could define it as simply participation among other people in life. Uh, one pastor writes, it, writes and says this, koinonia is the word for the deep sense of connection that believing people have with one another, even anticipating the union that Father, Son, and Holy Spirit have in the Trinity. Philippians chapter 2, verse 1 to 2, Paul writes it this way, So if there is any encouragement in Christ, any comfort from love, any participation in the Spirit, that is that word koinonia, any affection and sympathy, complete my joy by being of the same mind, having the same love, and being in full accord and, one, and of one mind. When we move into Acts, we are always drawn to the, the description and the picture of this fellowship of believers in chapter 2, verse 42, which says, And they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and the fellowship, the koinonia, to the breaking of bread and the prayers, i.e. sharing life with one another. And so we see that throughout um, the Scripture, that this word for fellowship, it, it's more than just hanging out together. <laughs> It's not anything less than that, right? But it's certainly more than that. It is more towards a shared life of sorts in the way that the Trinity itself has union with one another. Well, let's look at service then. Biblical service comes from this word diakonos. It's where we get the word deacon. And this word means servant or service in a range of, of, of capacities, right? From service in the hospitality sense to sharing and ministering to one another's needs and burdens. In John 13, as I said earlier, we get a sense of that range when Jesus washes the disciples' feet. And this type of service is both what? Loving and sacrificial. It is the type of service that says there is no act of love that is beneath me as we see Jesus positionally take on the job of foot washing, which was done by slaves in his day. We hear Jesus talk about this type of service in Mark 10, Mark 10, verse 44, which Jamie read already. For even the Son of Man came not to be served, but to serve, diakonos, to give his life as a ransom for many. What Jesus does is shows us the extent to which we are to understand service towards one another. Service for Jesus and thus for his disciples is not the occasional good deed of the day, the resume builder that it might be for us uh, today even, or even volunteering one Saturday to help out with food or to distribute any kinds of, of goods. All those are great things to do. But this type of service is the, the, the ongoing willingness to what? Bear one another's burdens. Uh, to weep with those who weep, but also rejoice with those who rejoice. It is hospitality, which is welcoming and connecting people, uh, not just to you relationally, but also to your relational networks. It is striving for mercy and justice in this place, which means one person's cause for injustice is somebody else's cause for injustice, and we need to care and care about that, even if it's different and out of our context or even out of our cultural understanding, or maybe if it hasn't even been done to us personally. Conflict resolution, reconciliation, all of these things are what we mean by biblical service, diakonos. 
Again, it is more personal, dare I say more vulnerable, than the idea of service that we might think of outside of the church. It is caring for one another as you would care for yourself, as Paul talks about in Ephesians 5, but also how you might think about and caring for your own personal biological family. If we look back to our text this morning in John 13, Jesus says to his disciples, love one another just as I have loved you. And it's worth noting how has Jesus loved his disciples up to that point. Well, certainly Jesus is referring to the foot washing ceremony that just took place, which does foreshadow the cross, and we've talked about that. Right? Jesus is, is showing them that, that in a mere 24 hours, right, it's not just going to be water that's going to clean them, it's going to be his blood that's going to clean him. He's going to serve them in the most humiliating of ways of being subjected to death on a cross. But we could also think about how has he loved them even for the past three years? Right? Roughly three years of going from region to region, of experiencing the crowds together. We might refer to it as driving around, just this mundane time. For them, it might look like just sleeping under the stars, hours of life of, uh, in the form of just laughs, sharing meals, aches and pains, uh, issues with family. <laughs> what is that? It's shared life. It's shared life. It's how Jesus has loved them up to this point, both in his fellowship towards them, his koinonia, but also in his service towards them and giving himself away. And this combination, right, of fellowship and service, it, what it sets the trajectory for unique corporate life together that sets the tone for not just how the disciples will live their lives after Jesus leaves, but how what the church is called to live their life out towards one another and then ultimately before the watching world. Sharing each other's burdens, practicing forgiveness, reconciliation, inclusion across all cultural barriers. That's fellowship and service. And as a goal of ours, we expect to see our love for one another grow throughout our life because it means that we are what? Planted, as we said last week, and thus growing in grace, growing in the love of God and the knowledge of God, growing in Him and the way that He what? First loved us. So it doesn't stop here vertically. It implements itself horizontally. This is what biblical fellowship and service is. It is the way we love one another as Jesus has loved us. It is shared life relationally, and in service. Well, let's see why this type of love towards one another is even possible and how I want us to begin thinking about how we even do this. And this is, gets to the second point, where our love for one another comes from. Um, we, it would be right to say that our love for one another comes from Jesus and how he has loved us. But right, just like foot washing, that can easily become an example that we're to model. And we wouldn't read John 13 to say that what Jesus is intending for us is to go now wash other people's feet. Jesus' love towards us did something to us. Positionally, um, spiritually for sure, we may not experience it in full now, but it, it, it did something to us that changes who we are and how we think about ourselves, but ultimately how we think about one another. And that is Jesus' love towards us in his death and resurrection, 
by faith united us to him. And if we are united to him by faith, what we are also united to what? One another. Sorry. Thanks for laughing. This is what we refer to as union with Christ. Ephesians chapter 1, verse 10, we might remember from our study in Ephesians, says, as a plan for the fullness of time to unite all things in him, things in heaven and things on earth. This is why the biblical view for where we're headed is far more corporate than it is individual. Union with Christ says that you are connected to him. This is how we share in his benefits, right? What are those benefits? We talk about justification, talk about adoption, talk about sanctification, right? Those are what we refer to as the benefits of this uh, work of Christ in our life. And how that happens is we're united to him. We are in him is Paul's favorite phrase. But it is also says that we are connected to one another. It is the, the way God finally makes true the chorus line of the Old Testament, I will be your God and you will be my people. We are God's people, not because we made a decision to say we're Christians, although that's a part of it. We're God's people because we are in Christ. We are united to him, and it's this union with Christ that is the source then of our love towards one another, marked out in our fellowship and service towards one another. Okay? And this is what makes it possible. This is, what, um, this, is, this is why we like to remark how I can go to the other side of the world not knowing anybody, but because we're believers, there's already this connection there, right? There's already something there. It's why we can like, look at this group of people, and, and as different uh, as we are and the different places we come from, we might, as, a, as an outsider, look at this and be like, what are these people doing in this room right now? What has brought them all together? Well, it's the gospel. It's Jesus. And so if we just remember that we're, we're united to Christ, which means we're in, united to each other, then our problems with fellowship and service will end. We'll love each other the way that we want. The end. Right? Why is this so hard? Why is fellowship and service, the way the Bible talks about it, why is this command, although seeming very clear, so difficult, meaning that, that, that love for one another isn't always the experience people in the church have towards one another. And maybe we talk more about that on the podcast. I don't want to open that door too much, but I want to give us something to think about when we think about biblical fellowship and service and perhaps why that is the way that it is, that sometimes we don't experience this, but we can. And this gets at what I mean by the potential the potential of love and service, the potential of fellowship towards one another in the way that God has loved us. Because of our union with Christ, right, there's a confidence there in one's salvation. There's a confidence in your position towards God. There's a confidence that comes individually knowing how extraordinarily loved you are. And because of this, this is the anchor and the engine for the potentials of how you are going to go love other people, right? So there is an order of sorts. The more we love God and understand his love for us, this does affect the way that we can go out and offer ourselves the shared life that's scary or otherwise, you know, inconvenient. We can actually do that. There's potentials there. 
The question for us is how are we thinking about those potentials? Consider, consider this uh, through the lens of friendship, and Tim and Kathy Keller note, that, note, note this in their book on the meaning of marriage, that Christian friendship is unique beyond any other type of friendship, not because it's Christian necessarily, but because of the potential it has by being Christian, i.e. the potential it has because of this union with Christ that, that, that you have individually, but you also have connected connectively with each other. Let me, let me give you an example. They talk about three things that I want you to consider uh, what it means to be a good friend to somebody, okay? Uh, a good friend is this, somebody who is consistent, honest, and vulnerable, okay? We can talk later in my office about all the people who you thought were really your friends that aren't your friends after we get through this, but just listen to this. Consistent, vulnerable, and honest. A good friend is somebody who's what? Just there, who can be there for you, who is there for you. They show up. Good times and bad. Honest. A good friend is somebody who can be honest with you, which means they can share their life with you, but also honest about you. They can share things about their life and they can say hard things about you as well. They're willing to do that. I don't know if you're willing to receive it, but they're willing to do that. That's a good friend. Lastly, vulnerability. A true friend can bear their life to you. Biblically, vulnerability is the process, we say, of being naked with somebody. Not in the physical sense, but in, 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 this, this, in the way of saying, this is who I am, and I have nothing to hide. Now, there's an appropriate way to do that, of course, but it's that willingness to say that this is how I will, 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 will consider doing a relationship. Now, why can they do that? And this is Keller's point. Because they, are, they have the confidence of knowing who they are in Christ. In other words, their union with Christ says that you are both known, right? You're not hiding anything from God, but you are also accepted as well. And while I will say that several times in this sermon, I want to also note that doesn't mean that God just says, okay, you don't have to change when I say you're accepted. What it means is God is patient with you as he changes you. But for, for the point, consider this. Right now, positionally, because of your union with Christ, God knows everything about you while he simultaneously accepts you as well. And because you know that, this is freedom to go, and in this case, right, be good friends with people. Be consistent. Risk that. Be honest with them because you're not so needy that you got to have one friend. You have the approval of the living God to your back to be vulnerable with them because you are fully known and accepted by God himself. And their point in this, just to move along, is what? Is it creates the potential for the best lasting friendship there is. This is what union with Christ does. And what I'm suggesting is the same thing is true when we consider biblical fellowship and service towards one another. We ought to be talking about friendships at this point in time towards one another, but it's different than that still, so I don't want to limit it to that. But the potentials for biblical friendship and service, right, fellowship and service, 
are there because of our union with Christ. We may not always experience them because sin is still prevalent in our life, but as a church, we have got to be thinking about the potentials that are there and then the willingness then to identify barriers that are limiting that potential, which are often what? The barriers of reconciliation, of forgiveness towards one another. My relationship with Ada is only so good as I'm willing to say I'm sorry. I can just go through the motions of being a husband. You can go through the motions of being a church member. But the potentials there, what God wants us to do and frees us to do in this commandment are there for those who are willing to move into those potentials because of what the gospel says about you already. This is what I mean by potential. And the question becomes, are we leaning into our union with Christ as the source of our fellowship and service towards one another? Does that come through your mind as you approach somebody, as you think about somebody? That this isn't just some stranger that moved from Texas. This is somebody that I will spend eternity with. This is somebody who I'm connected to with in a very unique way because we, through faith in Christ, are united together. I don't know how all that works, just going off of the biblical language, right? We get pictures of it in different relationships. Certainly there's a picture of it in marriage that's different than there is in friendship, that's different than there is in strangers. But it's there. Are we leaning into our union with Christ as the source for our fellowship and service towards one another? Because it does give us the confidence to risk sharing our lives with one another, to risk loving each other and carrying each other's burdens at, at, at cost to ourselves, at our own inconvenience, because we are growing in the way what? That Jesus has loved us. These two things are connected. Let's leave it at that. Are we letting the honest, vulnerable truths of the gospel that you are simultaneously known and accepted drive our love for one another it might be easier for you next week to see how that drives your love for the lost or even for God's enemies. I think this is the hardest one, loving family. Well, we've seen what biblical fellowship and service is. We've looked at where the source for that comes from. And now I wanna move on to why it matters. Why does this matter? Um, there's a lot of things we could say about this, but here's what I want us to think about as a church. Um, it matters because of what it reveals when we do this. Um, according to Jesus, when we love like this, we show the world, as the text says, that we are disciples of his. He says, by this, all people will know that you are my disciples if you have love for one another. And you could take that a couple different ways. I want you to take it the latter. But the first way is, great, people will know that I'm a Christian. And that's not bad, but that can have its wrong, a, a wrong trajectory as well. Rather, what I want you to think is that the, what Jesus is saying is what is actually revealed is not that you're a Christian, but it reveals Christ, which is essentially maybe what you're trying to say. That's, that's why this matters. When we begin to love one another as he has loved us, what the world sees is not necessarily our good deeds, although it sees that. It sees something other. It sees something working in the world that as I just got done describing, doesn't have the potential to work in any other place than the church. 
which is to love people generously and sacrificially across all boundaries, social, economic, cultural, whatever, gender, fill in the blank. And so when this happens, right, what is revealed is Jesus. This is why this matters. If it is true that the gospel unlocks potentials in the way that we love one another, then when those potentials are met, we reflect something different to the world. We reflect Christ. Biblical fellowship and service then towards one another, in one sense, is the uniform of the Christian that tells people, oh, they must work for him. Watch how they love one another. And friends, you can mark that course throughout history from the most horrible pagan in the world that has observed this among God's people to whoever that would be today. It still holds true. Watch how they live together. Watch how they love one another towards people you otherwise would have nothing nothing in common with. That's the church. But again, we'll look at... um, what this looks like outside of the church, but this is, this is why I want to focus inside. It reveals Christ to the watching world. But I want to add another thing to why this matters, why biblical fellowship and service matters. Um, it's important because it shows us, and maybe this is more pertinent to our theme, that the gospel is getting in. That the gospel is getting into our lives. That disciples are anchored in the love of Jesus, which says, I am fully known yet fully accepted. Therefore, I serve and I minister to the needs of others the best I can out of that love of God. I'm not serving and ministering to you in order to get God's love, to get his approval, right? I'm anchored in his love and approval, and this gives me the ability and the confidence, right, to go and love you the best that I can. Our love for one another as a fruitfulness then is a is how we diagnose where we are planted. It's how we diagnose what we are teaching or being fed. What we will be as a church, even. If we are growing in these ways, then we could say, yes, the gospel is present in this place and in our relationships. Ray Ortland puts it this way, our relationships with one another in other words, how we love one another, reveal to us what we really believe about God and the gospel as opposed to what we think we believe, our convictions as opposed to our opinions. The church's aim then is never to be a place that simply offers good community and good service towards one another's, right? There are plenty of places that you can go and give your time to, that do a great job, and maybe even in some ways a better job of service and offering community for you, right? Rather, they are fruits or goals of the Christian life that diagnose and give direction to our ministry practices, to our lives, because growing in love for one another as Christ has loved us is a product of being planted in the streams of the gospel. So let me ask this to close this point. What are we revealing What are we revealing to College Park in the way that we love one another as a church? If it's not love for one another that is telling the world that you are Jesus' disciples, what is telling the world that? Because this is how Jesus wants the world to know that you're his disciples. 
Are we willing to allow this goal and even all of these, both growth and grace and next week's evangelism and missions, right, diagnose us both as, both as individuals but as a church? How would we grade ourselves and how we're growing? I'm not saying, I'm not looking for perfection, but how are we growing in our love for one another? How are we doing with this love one another as I have loved you stuff such that we could be honest as a church that the gospel is getting into our hearts? How are we both growing in our love towards one another, but also allowing others to grow in their love towards us as we let them serve us? Some of us are great at serving, of running around and getting busy, but not so much at allowing others to serve us. Likewise, some are great at letting people serve them and not so great at, at considering serving other people. Neither of those is koinonia. Are we willing to allow this goal, as it were, diagnose us deeply? Because that's what goals do. This is what biblical fellowship and service is. This is where it comes from, and this is why it matters. Let me offer this application, and then we'll leave here uh, for this, this, this morning. Um, we ended last week talking about where you're planted in order to uh, get the streams of the gospel, as it were, um, in us. As a tree is planted to those streams of waters, we looked at Psalm 1. And so uh, the question of where you're planted is it's a good one, right? We want to be anchored uh, in those places. This morning, I would just extend that. I would say, um, where, where you're planted now, are you blooming in that place? Which for some of us can be a familiar place, or a familiar phrase. Are you blooming where you are planted, specifically in the area of biblical fellowship and service towards one another? Right? It's great for you to, to truly be growing spiritually uh, as a person. We want that here. But to just grow in that way, right, just to come and in some ways be consumer, a consumer of the church is actually unhealthy. And why? Well, we'll go back to the tree-fruit analogy. Fruit uh, of a tree, right, it's not primarily for the tree itself. That fruit is for other things. It's for other people, right? Not to get into all the nature of it, but it's for the animals around that tree. But the spiritual fruit here, that's not for you. I, I, I need to be patient, but my, my, the fruit of my patience is for you. I need to grow in self-control, and there's a lot there's a lot of things that I benefit by, by that, but that fruit's for you. Right? My love that God grows in me, right? Great. Put it on a, on a plaque and put it on the wall. No, it's for you. How much do you benefit by being around a body of people who are producing fruit in that vein? Fruit is for you. We never exist just for ourselves. I'm sorry, it's for others. So what this means then is that my spiritual health and your spiritual health are actually dependent on each other. My maturity as a believer, your maturity as a believer, is dependent upon each other. God's blessings for me, God's blessings for you, are dependent upon one another. This is where they're coming from. Which also means that whether we like it or not, we need one another for gospel maturity. And if you're hearing anything, hear that this morning. You want to grow as a Christian? Great. You need the people of God for that. 
how does that change how you view one another? How does that, how does that change the way that you think about sharing each other's burdens? That that's actually God's blessing for you. How does that change the way you think about moving towards somebody uh, to reconcile? As painful and as difficult as that is, that is God's blessing to you as much as it is to them. How does that change things like church membership for you? Many people have problems with church membership. Church membership just says, this is where I'm planted. And now we're saying, great, because you're planted somewhere, you can actually bloom. (laughs) And Continue the maturing process because that's what fruit is for. And we share it in the life of each other. How does that change the way you think about fellowship and service as the way that we love one another? And what's behind all this is the way that Jesus has loved us first. So we'll always come back to this. right? And how has he loved us? He's loved us generously and he's loved us sacrificially. We could say he's been consistent with us the most consistent that any of us could be with each other. He's been the most honest with us, and he's been the most vulnerable with us, certainly as we look at the cross. And all that is to say is he has looked at you, and he says, I know you. I know everything about you. The things you won't tell anybody, I know them, and I still love you. That's the gospel. And the more that that gets in us, the more it gets out of us as we go and we love one another in that confidence and in that love. Let me pray for us. Heavenly Father, we thank you for this commandment that seems good on the surface. It seems like we've heard it before, but it's different because you tell us that this is, we're to love one another as you have loved us, that you have gone first that you're just not an example that is set for us, but actually the way that you loved us changed who we were, changed our relationship to you, but also changed our relationship to each other, that we might be people who are both fully known, but also fully accepted. And because of that, we can move out into the lives of others and trust that you're at work. Would you help us as a church in this community to be more loving towards one another, to talk about that, to grow in that, as we grow in grace and our love and knowledge of you. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.